Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. Today, we're covering a very important topic. I'm going to be talking about overcoming and healing from abuse. Abuse in relationships, whether it is emotional, verbal, um, physical, or any other form of abuse. And to have this conversation, I'm being joined by an incredible young woman. Her name is Chanel Vogt. She is a former Miss Canada, a domestic violence survivor, and by her absolute insistence, also an overcomer, meaning she no longer identifies as a victim of abuse. That's a key distinction which we'll be talking about today. Chanel also has two beautiful children she's raising on her own, a supportive family, and the courage and strength that is way beyond her years. She shines with love for humanity, her children, and herself, and is so gentle and giving, you would never know she's been to hell and back all before she was 25. Now, before we get into this conversation and the questions that I'll be asking her, I feel it is very important for me to recognize and validate that abuse is not ever something that someone deserves or brings on themselves in any way. During a time when there's so much conversation around that we choose our experiences and we choose to stay or leave and we choose who's in our lives, you know, such, these are empowering conversations and empowering concepts. But, and, you know, within that, we're being asked to take responsibility for our lives. But I don't want that to get wrapped up and misunderstood because the dynamic of abuse and how clever the abusers are at controlling and manipulating their victims creates a whole different circumstance. The choice in those cases isn't about, you know, choosing what you tolerate or setting a boundary. It's about survival. And that changes the whole game and it changes our choices. So whether you are yourself someone who has dealt with this in your current or previous relationships or you're listening to this out of interest um, I want you to I'm hoping I should say that you'll come into this with an open mind and an open heart with understanding and um, I think there's so much value for you here uh, even if you just want to know what to say to a friend or someone who is dealing with this. You know, I learned so much from Chanel about how to even just help other women. So let's dive right into it. My name is Elizabeth and I am the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you're going through separation and divorce. Here we talk about how to heal, move forward and find love if you are so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself and creating the life you deserve. Our tools are community, sisterhood, honesty, vulnerability, spirituality, and coaching. And that's when we aren't talking to experts. I am also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried, and a stepmom to three. So we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce, but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Okay, Chanel, I am so excited to get this conversation started with you and to share everything that you have to share with my audience here on in this podcast. So um, welcome again to my podcast. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here today. Yeah, we're going to have, I think we're going to have fun talking today. So, but before we really get into um, the things that I want to share and and really give you an opportunity to share with my audience, 
I wanted to kind of start with the big ugly elephant um, question, so to speak, or elephant in the room. So we can kind of get rid of that and deal with that right away and and then kind of get into the value and the and the help that we're really trying to provide, some of the inspiration that I, you know, that I want to share from you um, with our listeners. So, you know, we're definitely here. Pretty much everyone will ask. I don't know if they ask you, but they'll ask me when I talk about you. Why didn't she leave? You know, like we anytime we hear about a woman who's gone through um, domestic violence and abuse, it's like, why didn't you leave? Why did you stay? Or even, you know, I know that women leave and come back. And you've told me actually the statistic, you've shared the statistic that I think you said women leave something like eight times before they are successful or something. Is that correct? Yeah. Anywhere between like six to six, seven or eight times. Yeah. Before they come back. Yeah. So I think to a lot of people, they just don't understand that. And, you know, I know for myself, I have gotten to a place where I've realized I don't need to actually understand that. It's not, um, it's not for me to understand and therefore accept it or reject it. It's more of a, I've chosen to accept that that's the, that's the way it is based on that I don't understand. And I don't, thankfully, I don't understand because I have not been in those shoes. But I just thought, you know, maybe we can help our audience understand it um, a little bit better. Uh, so what would you like to say to that? How can How can we help people? kind of get past that question and then they can hear the rest so much better. Awesome. Well, thank you for asking. And um, I think it's really important, um, I guess, for me in my situation, as I was beginning to develop this relationship, of course, there are a lot of feelings and emotion that we all feel when we engage in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and when, when I was going through those years of recognizing, you know, and trying to understand too of what was going on is uh, yeah i i know that there are things going on in this relationship that don't seem healthy um that aren't healthy um to be abused physically um it is something that you know is is a red flag for a lot of people um but what was happening in my relationship was that it was happening, especially at the very beginning, like the first couple incidents were, were almost innocent. Like, um, I I'll just share one inc incident, for example, just to get, give you an idea, um, because it was very subtle. So, or at least subtle compared to some of the other experiences that I had. So there was one day where I was brushing my teeth, he came along and kind of gave me a good good slap on the cheek. But at the same time, he was laughing. And he's like, Oh, my gosh, and he saw that a tear was rolling down my eye. And I said, you know, that's, that wasn't okay. And, um, and he held me and he said, I, I was just I don't know what came over me. I was just excited. And I love you. And just seeing you brush your teeth was cute. And I just had to give you a little love, a love tap is what he said. And, um, at that time, I, you know, I didn't like blow up because he came in like all giddy. And, um, and so I, I, even though there was a tear in my eye and he recognized that, you know, that, that obviously wasn't okay for me, he recon, he, um, kind of conformed the, the moment to be, well, I love you and I would never do that to you. I wouldn't purposely hurt you. I'm here. We're just being fun. I know you're brushing your teeth. I didn't mean for it to hurt. Um, 
And so that was kind of like the first interaction. And so as our our relationship grew, of course, that became a little bit more prominent and the abuse escalated. Um, But as I was going through the relationship, we had fun moments. Like he was a super fun guy, so charming, so outgoing, um, like a strong guy. He cared about how he looked. Um, He he made sure that, you know, wherever we went, I was I was always almost like, you know, that, that trophy wife where, where the guy's always holding her up and always so proud of her. And, um, and, 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 you know, it was really special to me to be like the forefront, the center of his, his whole life. Um, but then at home, as things, as years progressed, um, just more and more, um, things would come up and, and for, for him, he would, he had a very, a very big temper. Um, and, and so for me growing up, my parents were, you know, sometimes they would argue and one more than the other would, would instigate more argument. And I took more to a softer approach, um, with me. So I was always very close, for instance, to my dad, my dad wasn't a confrontational person and, um, him and I were really, really close growing up. And I, I took on those traits. So my, whenever my, my mom may have had like an issue or was upset, she, hers, her anger came out. Um, but my dad was always very calm and try to be understanding. So that was the traits that I was bringing into my relationship. I was trying to understand. And exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think, I guess leading into like the elephant in the room, the reason why I stayed was because not every day was like that. And because I was a peacekeeper, because I wanted to have this relationship grow and I was looking at all the good things and really not focusing at all on the bad things, thinking we can work through this together, we can grow together and we can learn that that's not okay. And isn't there also usually an element of, I mean, as just through the manipulation and the the effects of the abuse on the, the victim? that you get conditioned in a way that this is somehow your fault? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point to ask. So as you're going through this relationship with this controller, the manipulator, the user, um, because they will, they will lash out um, at the very beginning, like I, uh, as you progress through the relationship, it's going to be, if they're going to turn it back on you, but they're going to do this very gradually. It's very, um, it's almost scientific where they're, they're constant, that something will happen and it will be your fault and you will feel that it's your fault. And so our natural reaction, if it's really our fault and we feel that it's our fault, we're going to say, sorry even like, and and that's how they will try to manipulate the situation that's going on. It'll be, well, it's your fault that this happened. And so, yes, I have a reason to be upset. Yes. I have a reason to say, you're not allowed to talk to this friend anymore, or you're not allowed to communicate on social media anymore because you overstepped a boundary in our relationship and you should not have done that. Yeah. And then of course the the following physical punishment, if you will, um, that is then handed out, so to speak. I could, that sounds awful to even say it like that. But I guess, in, again, it's like, you know, it's not my fault that I did that to you. It's because you hurt me. It's, 
is the manipulation of that moment. <clears throat> and I, I totally understand that and hear you on that. And I've, you know, I, I think it is so gradual. And I think by the time it gets really bad, it's, it's beyond, you know, you're not dealing with someone who's coming at it anymore from a place of confidence or healing, or, you know, at that point you would travel down the path that took you away from who you probably used to be, so to speak. Right. And, you know, I think about, you know, you were a former Miss Canada and, when you think about that, you think about, you know, oh my gosh, you must be so confident. And it's such an embodiment of that. Like, you know, here's someone who's really successful and beautiful. And I, I believe a big part of these pageants is to be an advocate on, for something. So, you know, you know, how is it that an abuser is able to get in, in under that, under your radar, so to speak. And I think you've explained that already a bit. I guess my question is as well, like, is it planned? Do they, are they deliberate in their manipulation or do you think it's just what they do, their traumas or their issues that causes them to, um, they just do it. I don't know. Is it, how deliberate is it? How planned is it? Do you think? That's you really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and while I don't think I can actually answer 100% what that, what it, what it means or what it looks like, but I, I do truly think that the past is very much a reflection on how someone is going to live out their life. Just like I had mentioned with um, my um, around arguments with my parents, mm, I took yeah. more so a lenient side on, on my dad to be not confrontational, but what happens it, what I've noticed that happened in that relationship and kind of learning and growing from it. And, you know, looking back on it was knowing that he did come from um, a certain a certain place in his life where, where he grew up and, and the family dynamics that he had and the expectation of what a man's role is and the woman's role. That was very, very different. Like I grew up with, my parents were very much like they both helped cook. They both helped clean. They both contribute to the house. It was very much like an equal balance. Of course, my dad was more the leader, but um, you know, there was, there wasn't as much of a dynamic as like the woman is here and the man is up there. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's a cultural where, difference. Very much a cultural difference. And yeah. I think because I took more towards my dad's natural instinct of don't be confrontational mm. and wanting kind of as a woman to be protected and kind of led, I felt at the beginning, like his strong attitude, his, you know, presence is something that's going to protect me yeah, as opposed to harm me. Yes. Um, like you needed and this and wanted this as opposed to. Exactly. Like yeah. if life was going to happen and something was going to happen to me, he was going to stand up for me. And that happened many times, you know, downtown were young teenage, like young, young adults going out with lots of people. And like, if anybody, you know, looked at me the wrong way or, or, you know, tried to come and talk to me, he'd be right there saying, you know, standing up and protecting me. And, and that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes sense. I, I think a lot of us want that it's just you know it's it's finding the right person who can provide that but in a way that is not also then controlling and possessive and um it's a very fine line and I think it's uh yeah so thank you for sharing that I know it's you know in no way do I want to make it sound like it's somehow your fault 
And I think you've shared um, your experience or that part of your experience in a really lovely way to help understand. So thank you for that. Kind of shifting gears a little bit, but what was the scariest phase of of this part of your life? Was it the the final leaving, so to speak? Because I've heard, I've always heard that's the most dangerous time for women is when they leave, right? Was that the scariest thing of through this whole journey for you? It was. Yeah. Um, and because I had left, like I, 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 we had a lot of breakups and I think that's why there was that continuous cycle, mm-hmm. but there was two major escapes that had happened. Um, the first escape, I actually felt safe. Mm-hmm. I, I felt safe enough to leave. Um, but the second, the very, the final escape was the scariest. And I think because it wasn't just me. I had my son who was nine, nine months old at the time. And I was pregnant with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And the morning that I left, there were threats of, I'm going to take him, you and you are going to pay me. Right. And, and he took the keys to my car and everything. So Mm -hmm. there were already threats in place. And then there were like life threats in place that morning of. So that's when I knew I only had this one chance to leave. And if I didn't leave, I didn't know what was going to happen. And so that, that day was the scariest moment of my life. Um, And then of course, for, for a couple years later, as I was progressing through those different, the court system, family law, um, and then starting my healing there were there probably two years after where I was still living in this fear, constantly looking over my shoulder. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So now if I um, understand correctly, he went to jail, right? For what he did to you. He did. I had to help a little bit with the safety aspect, knowing that he couldn't reach you physically. Yeah. And and I think um, it, it, he, he went in for two separate things. We were dealing with two separate court cases around the same situation. So we had the abuse and the assaults that he was charged for. And then he, he, so when I say that I was in fear and not knowing what he would do, had I left or had I not left when I made this decision to leave and I made the decision to go to the police two weeks later, he went to the police as well um, saying that me and my family came to harm him. So then there was like a whole nother court case related. And at that point, all of our, like, so it was just one court case after another. Um, and that was his way of threatening. I'm just going to get you back. You yeah. throw me in jail. I'm going to throw you in jail. You know, that's, um, and I, I have actually learned just through the work that I do and just, you know, things that I read from people I'm connected to now that, that's a very common strategy for abusers to literally turn around and accuse back to something very similar. Um, it can even happen in much, uh, you know, not such severe cases as what you went through, what you experienced, but even in more sort of, uh, I don't know, mainstream, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, a, a more typical situation where a woman or a relationship is abusive emotionally, verbally, um, and, you know, the the woman will accuse, for example, for example, it can go the other way, of course, if the one person, I should say, one person accuses the other maybe being narcissistic or gaslighting or anything like that, inevitably, the the other person will accuse right back. It's a very common strategy for the abuser to accuse 
back for exactly the same thing. So um, I, it's shocking to me that he was successful enough in doing so that it actually ended up in court. Yeah. So um, to just to say, just to give some some uh, encouragement to people who have gone through this or maybe might experience this after seeing this podcast is my, um, I felt like I had the people in place supportive. Like I was at that time living at a safe house and my aunt uh, and my uncle, they're both in law. And um, so one's a lawyer, one's a police officer, and they both came with me and my grandpa came with me as well. So um, as we were asked to come to the police station and speak to them, they were to ask us questions. Um, what you need to be, what you need to understand is they want to try and get the answers out. So for me, I had just been to the police station the week before and see he was using an alias name at the police station. Had he given them his license, then they wouldn't have known who he really is. Yeah, You give him the real name and you log it in and oh well another man under that name is doing or has gone and um has is being accused of this right now okay so that's how he did it that's how, yeah so he so when i ended up at the the police the police station um we told them what was going on and then then it switched so he yeah. went against us and then they threw it back against him okay yeah so it didn't work thankfully it didn't work thankfully, thankfully. exactly yeah. So thank you for sharing that, by the way. I'm sure this must have been obviously a horrible and challenging time in your life. And um, I'm now looking forward to also talking about how you came out of this. And um, I know you're you're also very passionate about helping women who, you know, who were you when you first got wrapped up in this and to help them understand and, and see it coming, I guess. Um, to empower them to make, to, to see it and not accept, I guess, the abuse that on some level you allowed when you first met him. And so they don't fall into a relationship like that. And uh, you've told me that you you would like to one day go into universities, for example, and speak with young women, which I think is so wonderful because the more we can empower women and, and empower them with tools and knowledge, knowledge is everything, Right. Um, the better off they are. Because when we were in university, I remember you're incredibly idealistic, everything, everybody's great. And you cannot even believe that this could happen to you, right? And I'm sure you were one of those women, this will never happen to me. Um, so what are some things that you would want to say to them? So you know, if some of them are listening here, or even if some of my listeners might have daughters that they'd want to share this with, what are some things that you'd want them to know or red flags you'd want them to be aware of? What were some of the things that you know now that you didn't see that you, that mm -hmm. you could have? Yeah. So, I mean, as young women are exploring that university life, it's fun. You're meeting new people and, and naturally we all want to be in a relationship with someone. We want that companionship. We want those memories and uh, we want to grow. We're at this age where, you know, if we start dating now, maybe after university, master's degree, PhD, whatever you end up doing, maybe we'll end up being together and we'll have that beautiful love story. Right. And, and us as girls, that's, we're kind of looking or our eyes, even though we might be there for school and their focus for school, or maybe we're there more for the, the social environment um, and the experiences that we take from it. But I think it's really important to know that 
our life, even though it's short, we have time. We have time to make really good decisions, really good decisions about where we are, where we want to go. Allow opportunities and meet people, but start asking good questions. And I think starting to ask good questions with yourself first, Mm -hmm. because when you start asking good questions about yourself and think, you know, what, how did I grow up? These are questions we don't think about. We're in, we're in university. What was the dynamic that my, my, my family was like, what, what were the, my parents like? Did I like that? Did I not like that? Yeah, like what was modeled at home, right? Exactly. Because what's going to happen is we're going to take, just like I did, I took my dad's trait with me because that was ingrained in me. And that made me want someone that naturally was going to be maybe more of a model. And, and something that I will share is that my, you know, um, I don't put any of this upon my dad or my mom, but this is just the way that life had gone. My parents ended up going through a separation right before I went to university. And so for me, having my dad making the choice that he decided to leave, um, that was really hard for me because now I know that that power dynamic between my mom and my dad didn't work. So I wanted to make my relationship work. And that was something that I held on to. So if we start asking questions with our, to ourselves about like, what, how did I grow up? What are some cool mom and dads, maybe our friends even, um, or, or, or what were some good modeled relationships that we admired, right? And take some of those traits into, you know, what am I, who do, what do I need to look for in an individual and having the openness and understanding that during university, especially that first year to that third or fourth year, you're going to change. You're going to grow. You're going to learn a lot about life. And, um, and, and you have to be willing and open to knowing that just as your mind is learning about all the things through your courses and your friendships, you, you and your partner are going to grow as well. They're going to grow as individuals and you're going to grow together. And so you have to make a really good and clear decision about, um, you know, what type of partner do I really want to be in and start yeah. asking those questions. I love that. You know, it's when I, so I met, I met my ex-husband when I was just 22. And I mean, when I think back, I knew nothing about life. I didn't even know anything about myself right? Like I didn't really know who I was. I certainly did not ask any of those questions. And, you know, I've, I remember going to this um, marriage, uh, I don't know, even counseling is the right word, but we had to go and see the minister twice before we got married and talk about things like how do we handle the conflict? We hadn't even had conflict yet. Like we didn't even know how we would resolve that. Um, we were idealistic, really hadn't given it any thought. Like you said, when I didn't look at my parents' relationship and analyze it in any way to the point of like, is that what I want? Or how do I identify in a, in a, in a couple? And uh, I realized when I, when the marriage ended after 20 years, and I look back at how I ended up with this person who honestly was not right for me. And I knew that, like, I didn't know it while I was in it because I wouldn't admit it to myself, but I knew it when it was over. And I, I chose only from like the flutter I felt in my body, right? I didn't, I, I fell in love and that was good enough. It never even occurred to me to ask more questions of myself, of the relationship, of, of him, of anything. 
And I think that's so key from what you just said. It's just even introduce the idea of asking some questions like, you know, what do I really want? Why do I want a relationship right now? How does it fit into my future? You know, what role do I want the relationship to play? Is my career going to come first? Um, You know, like really think about like, what are the things that I see myself doing that'll make me happy? Does this relationship support that? You know, and I, I don't, I would, very few women or men, both in their 20s are asking any questions. They're following passion. And everybody thinks that's good enough. Love is enough, right? It is not. It is not. And I love that you said that. I think that's, I think if nothing else, if you can go in and plant the question in their mind and make them think just simply, yeah, I should ask some questions of myself before I make this the most important thing and start giving up other things to maintain, mm. which is what happens, right? Yeah. Um, so that, I think that's, I think that's, that's huge. And I really believe as well that men and women, at least in the past, were raised differently. We were raised to seek a relationship and to make that work. Whereas I believe men used to be raised to focus on the career and the relationship can come when it comes, but it's not the the thing that they should pursue in life. And though I think things have changed, I think women are encouraged or young girls or young women are encouraged to, to find what they want to do and what they're good at and pursue that. I still think there's a huge push in society to also have that relationship. So I think, I think um, a conversation like that would be so valuable to counteract some of that social pressure to relationship goals, right? Like those hashtags that you see all over Instagram, um, yeah, relationship goals, develop a fantastic relationship with yourself first, and um, then start thinking about other things. But okay, thank you for that. So I want to, I want to move forward a bit, because I know we have so much we want to talk about today. So kind of fast forward to your out. So a lot of the women that I work with, you know, they, they're certainly not in their 20s heading into a relationship, they've come out of it. So, you know, whether they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, um, being in, the, in an abusive relationship, whether it's for a few years or for 30 years, it leaves its mark. And it has a tremendous effect on our confidence, our self-esteem, our self-worth, um, so many of these things. We're left often feeling very hollow, very numb, as I know it's a word that you've used, and I'll get back to that in a second. But it just, I, I know for myself, um, though I didn't suffer the kind of abuse that you did, um, it wasn't a healthy relationship and it wasn't one that nurtured me in any way. And I know I came out of it having no idea who I was and lacking in self-worth and um, feeling stupid and feeling um, less than compared to so many others who I felt just by some other standard had done more with their lives and their relationships. So it was easy to get stuck in a place where you are a victim of the abuse because it becomes who you are instead of something that happened to you. It becomes, you know, I am a survivor of abuse or I am a victim of, and it, it becomes something we continue to say for years. It's even just simply being a victim of divorce. It's one of the reasons I started the separation club because I knew way too many women who would come out of a relationship and then they'd always talk about the divorce. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, 
I got divorced, so now I'm a single mom and I'm a victim to that or I'm a victim to this thing that happened to me. And I thought, well, I didn't come out of it like that. I actually managed to come out of it in a way where I was like, okay, that sucked, but I'm going to make this um, this life that's ahead of me now amazing. So yes, that happened. And in many ways, I'm actually grateful it happened. Not that I'm happy I got divorced, but it's I'm grateful for the opportunities that presented themselves. And that's really what I want to bring to this. And I know there's a, there's a quote that by Gabor Mate, which I want to share because I think it's so... It kind of articulates this. He's such a brilliant man on trauma, but I just want to read this to you. Um, Trauma is a psychic wound that hardens you psychologically that then interferes with your ability to grow and develop. It pains you and now you're acting out of pain. It induces fear and now you're acting out of fear. Trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside you as a result of what happened to you. Trauma is that scarring that makes you less flexible, more rigid, less feeling and more defended. And and that's the end of the quote. And I just, to me, it just embodies so much of what I hear from my clients where they talk about the fear they have now that they're out there. And even though they know they don't want the abusive relationship, they have no idea what's available to them. They don't think they can do it. They don't think they're capable of happiness, not worthy of it. There's all this, like this scarring that he mentions and making it less flexible. It also made me think of something that you said to me and how you felt numb for years. And, you know, so for you, it just, you just closed off and you couldn't even, even though you knew you loved your children deeply, for example, you said to me, you couldn't feel it the way that you knew was possible so I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you how you worked your way out of that I guess first how you realized that you didn't want to feel that way that it was not right to not that you were missing out I guess is the word I'm looking for and how did you then allow yourself to open up to that feeling that was a oh, long thing, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But know what? This is this is where true healing happens. And this is when all of the work that you do and when you're patient with yourself, you can start to you can start to see how much work you've done because you're starting to feel again. And you're right. For almost a decade while I was in the relationship, uh being numb was something that was protecting me at that time. And as I was going through things, it was continuing to protect me. But there was a time where my kids were getting a little bit older, I would say as recent as about three years ago, and I was starting to spend more time with them. And I I really wanted to feel I, I knew how to deal with not deal with but to be there to support my kids. I had that loving Um, foundation as I was growing up as a child. So I knew how to give that love. I knew what to say, but it was very much mechanical. It was a a mechanical uh, response or reaction um, to my kids in terms of, I am here for you. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like going on play dates, all of this, but I didn't have any feelings. You're right. And as I was beginning to feel more for them and do more work on myself, I began to open up. And I remember we were talking about this this week and you were, you made this beautiful analogy about having this armor around your heart and, you know, as you're chipping away and you're working on yourself and you're being patient with yourself, little chips are going to fly off and you're going to start seeing 
that heart beat again. And, um, and, and so I, I just continued to be patient with myself knowing that, you know, there's no point getting frustrated over this because I, I don't even know what frustration feels like. And if it's ever going to be like a healthy thing to feel, but, um, as I'm working through those feeling emotions and connecting with my children, it started to grow. I started to feel that little bit of that mother child instinct begin to kick in. And, and as, as of the last three years, it's been growing and it's, and it's been beautiful process, but I can just say as of, as of this week, there was a situation that happened with my daughter and I, what I myself was going through like this emotional, this emotional little roller coaster for myself. And then I came to her in her need and was able to be present for her. And it was in that moment where I look at it as like these neurotransmitters were so dormant in my life for such a long time. And eventually like they were just waiting to start firing again. So it was like that parental instinct inside of me was dormant to protect me, to protect my kids so that I could just do everything mechanical so that I could provide and protect, provide and protect. And as I had this moment of um, connection, this, it sparked that, that those neurotransmitters, it like woke them up and said, you are alive and you are feeling and you are present and having had that moment. And even though it's been like a good 10 to 12 years of constant growth and breaking away at, at, at that trauma, that growth and that healing, no matter how long it takes you is always available to you. And it's waiting for you to tap it. It's just a matter of not giving up and continuing to push forward so that you get that moment of euphoria and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to feel. This is what it feels like to love and experience that bonding with your, your child or, or a person even. Wow. Yes. That is, um, thank you for sharing all that. You know, feeling is one of the things that we're afraid of, right? We, whenever we're in a bad relationship or, you know, if a good relationship starts to go bad or anything, we tend to protect and we, we, yeah, we armor up and allowing ourselves to drop that armor for a new relationship, um, even for our children sometimes can feel unsafe. I think, you know, because of the the level of abuse that you went through and having to protect your armor was existed even when you were with your children. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I guess I'm wondering or curious about when you realized you had armor up when it came to your kids, when you realized that I should be feeling more, like, was there ever such a time or was it not until it started to come down? that you realized? I I always realized that there was just something off that there was no, and actually it's actually something that I was talking with my mom today about. And I think it'd be an interesting to like come up. So I'm glad you asked that question. So what I was sharing this morning with her was that situation where I was completely numb. I knew that there was armor on me because I needed to um, I needed to get up and go to work and just trust that my kids were safe because if I didn't work, my kids didn't eat. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't work, my kids don't have me. So it was like, I was just like here, I'm here today. This is the moment that we're living in. This is what we're doing. 
And then it was just like, okay, that activity is done. Let's go to the next thing. Okay. It's dinner. Let's go to the dinner. Okay. It's bedtime. Let's go to bedtime. And so, like I said, it's very mechanical because I knew these things needed to be done in order for me to be a good mom, but I wasn't feeling anything. So I knew for a long time that I was harboring any kind of emotion to protect myself and protect my kids from for, for potentially not even having me in their lives. That was like a fear of mine. So I just had to make sure that I showed up and I did what I need to do. And I need to show up and go to work so that I could come home and just be, just make sure that we could survive. Yeah. Well, it allowed you to put one foot in front of the other is what it did and to continue. Because of course, when we decide to feel, when we allow the feelings to take over, um, it can be a flood. It can be a flood of tears, a flood of feelings that can be really hard to feel. Um, emotions can be very difficult to deal with. And so, okay, so then my next question for you, I know I'm asking a lot of really tough questions today, but I still I think this is such a valuable conversation for women to hear. Um, what was What were some of the things that you did to start breaking that down? What are some tools that we can share? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I really, uh, I took, I took a lot of counseling and therapy over the first several years. Um, but what really kind of start started to twist, um, or like shift my mindset. Um, I ended up getting a, a coach, like a, a mentor about mm-hmm. three, uh, 2019 was when I, 2020, it was the like very like February of 2020. And, um, I decided that there, I wanted something more. I wanted to become more. I wanted to have more. I wanted to really grow. And so, and work on myself. I knew, um, and and actually I will share this. So I I had met some person like briefly before, and I was like, wow, I, I now know what I want. So I need to do something within myself to become that person and become that successful. And to, so like, it was like, almost like I've met someone who's really cool, really interesting, super fun. And I was like, I, I need to work on myself so that I can either become like that happy and successful myself, or like have opportunities to be around people like that. I wanted. And so that's, that's kind of was like the switch of, so the mentorship really helped. And the tools that I've used through that and being able to communicate and start to use my voice. Cause that's another thing that I'm still learning how to do. Mm. And, um, and so some of the things mostly that I've learned in the last couple of weeks was there's these five things. And I think that I was starting to recognize them back then because I wanted more, I wanted more in my life. And I knew that it was ready. I was ready to receive. And I knew that my kids were ready to receive but I needed to do the work first. Yeah. And so the first thing that I I like people to think about is we need to start being open. We need to break down just a little bit, just enough fear so that we can be open to opportunity. Yeah. Because opportunity is going to bring in either people, places, or things that are going to help you be tools to move forward. Hmm. The next thing is being able to receive. Once you're open to opportunities, 
then you'll be able to attract and bring in and receive the tools that you need to get through that next step. Then as you're going through what you're receiving, it's important to accept it. So you're accepting what you're going through, whether it's good or bad, what is just is, but it's accepting now, where are you at and where you're going forward? And then this is the big one that I'm learning right now. And that's feeling. Mm -hmm. So as you begin to accept your op, so you open up your heart, you're starting to receive, you're accepting that gift, and then you're starting to feel. So as you begin to feel, you're going to start to grow. You're going to start opening up and you're going to start tapping into that numbness and you're going to start being able to um, almost connect at a, a deeper level. And then the last one is respond. So how do we respond? Once we have opened, we've received, we've accepted, and then we felt now it's our time to respond, not yeah. react, but to respond. How do we want to show up in this world? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love all of that. You know, it's so interesting you say that um, because I remember my journey well as well. And like I said, I came out of a situation that was, it was not a healthy relationship and I wasn't, like I said, nourished and I, I, I had no idea who I was. Um, and I used to describe my, my armor as a pink box. I literally would have a visual of a pink box um, when something bad happened between us or when he said things to hurt me or things happened, I would literally walk into this beautiful, like I, I can picture it when even talking about it right now, I'd walk into this beautiful pink box and I would bring up the walls. Like I would literally visually see these walls come up and that was sometimes good enough. Or if it was really bad, I would put the lid on. And if it was really bad, even worse, I would then tie this gorgeous pink bow around it. And in there I was safe. I was, I didn't feel anything and I was safe. So there was no feeling in this box. I knew it wasn't healthy. I knew my box protected me, but I knew my box wasn't good for a relationship because of course it shut me, it shut me off completely. And I started spending a lot of time in the box. The three of the walls were kind of always up. It was just, I, I don't know, it was, it was so vivid for me. When the, when the marriage was over and I was going through my healing and I was learning a lot of the things that you just talked about, I remember it was like the universe gave me the most beautiful feeling of all. So I am going through these steps kind of like you did. And when I got to the feeling step, I was handed joy instantly. As soon as I looked back and learned who I was and how I had shown up in this relationship and that, that I understood why I had been this in this relationship and in this pink box for so many years. Once I saw it, I st I it, it's kind of like everything just um, like the pink box just unfolded. Okay, I'm I, I'm in the open, and what I was given was joy. So it was like here we're going to give you a healthy dose of joy, Elizabeth. So that and that is my middle name, by the way. <laughs> um, so that I could feel safe walking out of that box, and I did. I walked out of that box and I left it behind. It's it's. It's like it's tucked away in the corner of my mind now, just as a memory, not as something that I need anymore. But because I was handed joy, I was able to be so much more open, just like one of the steps that you talked about. And I allowed feeling to come to me because and not that every feeling that came to me was joyful after that. 
but I knew I could always find joy. I knew it existed for me. I knew what it felt like. And I knew that if I kept looking for it, I would keep having it. And that was, that changed my entire life. Like everything changed. And I was, I guess I feel so blessed because it happened to me early. I went on this journey right away and I learned so much. And I learned that if I want joy in my life, I can have it. But I really just have to, I have to drop the walls. I have to open up. Not every feeling is going to be joyful, but joy, it's worth feeling whatever you need to feel. So joy can also be one of the things that come to you. And that's how I live my life now. And that is what I want to bring to people. Um, It's that, like you said, acceptance. It's accepting that that's actually available to all of us, not just to some people. So it's... um, yeah, I haven't had to step in my pink box again, which is wonderful. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I think too, like when you were talking about that, it's very much like when I was, your pink box was your safety. Yeah. Me being closed off and and being numb, that was my safety. Yeah. And, and we have to accept that that's what we needed during that time. Yes. When we are ready, then you move to the next step and then you can let it go. Exactly. It's that I, I'm probably not going to say this as well as, as some say it, but it's that um, forgiving yourself for who you had to be at the mm-hmm. time when you were going through whatever you were going through. Right. It And that was that was really a big part of me walking out of that box was saying to myself, you know, I did what I had to do. I protected I I, you know, I don't love everything but how I showed up um, at all. And I I know I made mistakes and that's okay because that's what I needed to do at the time to survive, to, to get through the day, to take care of my children, to be able to show up for them. Um, And it's funny because I actually used to, I didn't even think of that until right now. I used to be someone who never cried. Like I never cried, but I've done nothing but cry since I got divorced. (laughs) And my kids laugh at me because they, they used to right away they mom you're so emotional like because I'd cry at the drop of a hat like happy happy tears sad tears movie tears whatever never used to cry at those things ever and suddenly I was and they're like oh mom you're so emotional why are you so emotional I am not emotional I always would defend myself so now it's not a standing joke about <laughs> how long it's going to take for mom to start crying at the wedding or how long is it going to take for mom it's, oh here she goes yep crying you know <laughs> so I've had to accept that when I'm not in my pink box, I'm actually, but I love feeling the emotions, you know, so it's, it's allowing us to, to heal the scars, you know, the, the scars around our heart and our soul. It's massaging them almost, you know, if you think of a physical scar in your body, you have surgery and you get cut, you have physical therapy to heal, you have physical therapy, like literally to work out the scar tissue. We have to work out the scar tissue in our heart. We have to allow ourselves to do that. And I'm so excited about the work that you and I are going to do together. So Chanel and I, to all of you here, uh, are going to be teaching a course, I guess, or an experience where we want to take you on this journey. We are reaching out to women who are have come out of an abusive relationship, whether it's verbal or physical or emotional, accepting that you've come out of a relationship where you were not treated right and it has left scars, but you want more out of life. Just like Chanel talked about you, you know, you, you're done feeling numb. You're done, you're done living in your pink box, wherever, whatever that is for you. 
And it's now it's time to feel. And I've already had the privilege of taking some women, you know, my clients on this journey. And I'm just so excited to be able to offer this in on a slightly bigger scale and to do this together with you. So, um, you know, it's, I guess, you know, is there something you'd like to say to invite these women in and to help them understand that this is for them? Like this is for you, our listeners. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, I am also really excited about this opportunity to work with you and work with these wonderful women who are going to come in and have this experience. I, my goal is to, no matter how long or how long it's been, wherever you are in your healing journey, um, healing is always available. And as you grow and as you're learning, um, to overcome where, where you've been in your past trauma, um, when healing is available like this, and when you have people here that want to help you and want to show you what works, um, we want to, um, tighten up that gap. So it doesn't take as long, um, to be able to have this. I, I didn't know for, for eight, seven, eight years, I didn't know who to go to. I didn't even know anything existed. Um, the moment that I had a mentor kind of, um, help me along. And and she wasn't, you know, it, it, it's not as much as this, this is very beautiful and unique, because we can speak right to your need. And, um, and that's the beautiful thing about being able to have this course available is, I never had a course like this, but this is a course that I absolutely needed. Yeah. And I don't want you to have to do it on your own because now we have the tools and we have the experience and we have the knowledge and, and we're giving you that safe space to explore yourself and explore healing, um, the healing that is necessary um, and needed for mm-hmm. you um, to come out of that space and walk into um, a bigger and beautiful and more be- uh, creative life. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, to me, as, as you were talking, I was just kind of picturing how I would have felt sitting in my box with the one wall down if a group of women were standing outside with their hands out reaching for me, how wonderful it would have felt to step into that embrace, um, to step into allowing myself to feel knowing I'm being held by all of them. And that's really what we're doing. We're creating this very safe and supportive space, um, container, box, whatever you want to call it, where we're going to do this together, where you don't have to do it alone and you're allowed to have a bad day and you're allowed to express your disappointment and shame. And then we can build on that and create that life that you actually want that you might not think is available to you right now, but it actually is. And, you know, when it comes to creating a beautiful life for ourselves, it isn't about the things that we have. It isn't even necessarily about the man or the partner we have one day, it's about how we feel and it's about waking up in the morning and feeling hopeful and happy and ready, capable to take on the day. Not every day is going to be happy. It isn't for anyone. You know, life hands us all kinds of experiences, but you are allowed to reach for a joyful life that is built up around what you need and want out of it. And that you will embrace all the experiences that come along with that with an open heart. And that's really what we want to help you do. So I'm going to leave. I think I'm going to stop here. We are very excited to work with you. Of course, I'll be leaving all those details 
in the show notes. Chanel, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today, for sharing with all of us. I am beyond grateful that you've taken the time and shared so openly. Um, oh, I have goosebumps just thinking about everything we've talked about today. And thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm going to say thank you on behalf of my listeners for being here with us today. Thank you. And thank you for having me here. I am so grateful for the time that Chanel shared with us and how open she was answering all the questions that I had and just how the conversation flowed in general. You know, whenever I have these conversations with my guests, I I do allow them to just kind of go where they go. And uh, it was really wonderful. There were definitely some some tangents or whatever that it took that I wasn't expecting, but I think it was natural and what was needed to be said. So I hope that, you know, you... We'll take from this what you need to take. You will hear what you need to hear. And I want you to know that we're holding so much space for you to heal and grow and to really step into creating a new life for yourself. It is so available to you. It is so possible for you to have all of these things that we've talked about and to actually have that happy life. And it might feel very impossible right now. And Here's something that I'd like to share with you, and that is that we believe in you. Chanel and I believe in you. And even if you don't feel very strong in your own belief of self right now, maybe you can believe in us and you know that, you know, we've done the work and that we are here to help you. And maybe that can be the first step is to allow us to believe in you. I, again, want to invite you to check out our our uh, coaching container, our course that we're going to be opening on the 26th of January. But in the meantime, also want to invite you to our masterclass. We're running it on the 17th of January. The details will be in the show notes below. It is a great opportunity for you to meet us again in in person, so to speak, via Zoom. Um, We will be presenting a little bit at first, of course, and sharing some really important steps and tools that you can use to get your healing started. And then we will open it up for your questions. You can talk to us directly, ask us, you know, myself and Chanel questions, and also hear the questions of the other women that are on the call. And that is almost more valuable than anything, because sometimes somebody else thinks of asking a question that you might not have thought of. So I really hope you can join us. All the details are below. Um, The masterclass is free and available to all women. Uh, And uh, yeah, we'll hope to see you there. And in the meantime, until then, wishing you all kinds of healing, so much light and love and the best possible day.